In a world gone mad, the crazy people might just know what to do. Welcome to Mad Practice, sanity skills for crazy times. I'm JB. And I'm Cole. We're so glad you're here, wherever you think you are. (laughs) Hi, JD. Hi, Cole. I'm happy to see you, hear you. Yeah, I'm so happy. I can see you and hear you. We can see each other. I'm doing uh, blah, blah, blah. How are you doing? <laughs> What's going on? Were you already answering the question that you knew I was going to ask yeah. you? That's pretty good. That made me happy too. <laughs> no, how are you? How are you this fine day? You know what? I'm feeling I'm feeling good. I'm feeling energized. I feel relatively settled in lar- in no small part because uh, I was preparing for this episode and looking at all the different ways to describe or think about happiness, which was like not a bad homework assignment. Yeah. Like the investigation of happiness as a, as a hobby, even not a bad hobby. One of the things that's making me really happy is I notice on our, like, because we're recording and we can sort of see the, the recording, what are those, the sound waves things. Mine get really big. Mine really kind of spike up there. And I'm like, because you can't see this, but something that makes me very happy is Cole has this, what looks to be a Muppet toupee on his mic. And so whenever he leans into his mic, he looks like he's got this Muppet stash kind of, yeah, I think it's just a big like Muppet 70s stash, which brings me even on the darkest days, an immense amount of joy. So I think we will have to post that picture when you're right in there and you look kind of like, um, I feel like it's something out of Looney Tunes. There was like the guy. Like the Yosemite Sam. Yeah. Mush, like, a, like a salt and pepper, um, nonviolent Yosemite Sam. Yeah. That's why we have to keep to the Muppets, the Muppets. But it does look like I, I do want next time we record, I'm going to maybe mail you some eyeballs <laughs> to stick on the on the mic right underneath this fuzzy thing and then I'll really feel happy all the time because I'll be like look at that we got a muppet <laughs> we got a real muppet we got the spirit of Jim Henson right here with us now that makes me happy um I am happy today I've had a really uh I had to do a panel last night that I didn't want to do and I'm always amazed when you show up for something that you don't really want to do and then it goes okay and then I got to watch some basketball. The WNBA has started and I caught up on a few games. Then I made myself a chicken sandwich. Like I took the whole night off yeah. after. I didn't take the whole night off. I, I worked till 8 p.m. Let <laughs> me be clear. And then I made myself a chicken sandwich. And I sort of keep this bag of chips in the house that I kind of dole out. Like very reward-like. <laughs> so I had 20 chips with my sandwich and watched the first Tiger Woods documentary mm. series, the first in the, and it was really, I don't know. It just, it just opened me up to the diversity of all of us little humans, you know, and, and how each individual life is so complex and so full of joy and achievement and sorrow, like a, I think I've said it before. I love the Buddhists say that what is life? 10,000 joys, 10,000 sorrows. Like 
that's just the deal. Yeah. Like you don't get to have just the 10,000 joys. So anyway, quite a great documentary. And I felt really good. Took the whole night off. Didn't look at the email. Crawled into bed and uh, fell fast asleep, which is always the best. So there we go again. That sounds like a lovely night. Well, and that correlation that we keep finding, Cole, between the mood and the sleep. Yeah. <laughs> There's really something there. Yeah. I have a, a correlation with a bag of chips I keep in my house where <laughs> I just <laughs> split a bag with my wife as, as we wind down from the day <laughs> and do not count out the chips. I, I, count, I count chips in handfuls stuffed into my mouth. Yeah. Well, when, you know, you, you have a rather thin frame and, but as, as a, a person who's a little older, my metabolism has changed. I can't eat chips like I used to, but God damn, I'm going to have a couple now and then. Tell <laughs> yeah. So good. What is it with chips? Uh, <laughs> it's salt and fat. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the mystery solved. I mean, done, <laughs> done. <laughs> Plus the crunch, the crunch. Yeah. You know, because if it was just salt and fat, like if I was spooning it out of a jar, I don't think I would like that as much. It's the delivery system. Yeah, that's true. Anyway. Hey, as a before we get into our our emotion of the day or continue, which is happiness, which is going to be lovely to chat about. I in relationship to that, I was going through this amazing list of 300 emotions that we keep referencing because uh, later on we're going to talk about some happiness adjacent emotions and get get into the specifics because uh, they're pretty beautiful. But I wanted to share an emotion that I came across in this list in the way that the last few times we've you and I both tried to talk about feeling overwhelmed. And I found an emotion called umpty. Umpty, U-M-P-T-Y, is a feeling of everything being too much and all in the wrong way. <laughs> Which is pretty close to overwhelmed, but it's just such a good word. Oh. Umpty. It like just the the act of saying that word somehow provides a little bit of antidote to the feeling. Okay, I'm gonna say it for the first time in my whole life. Ready? See what see what happens. Okay. Umpty. Oh, that's good. And then I think of umpty dumpty. Yeah. And that's when you let the that's umpty really get you down, like you fall and you crap. <gasps> This is gorgeous. Does it come from a particular culture? Not that was listed on this one. And this this list, which everybody, you should really check out. We're going to talk a lot about it today and, and we'll have it in the show notes. You should really check it out. This list mostly does attribute the language or culture that, that some emotions are coming from. And, and this one doesn't have any reference. So, so I don't know. Yeah, some of them I think are just made up words, which I'm a big fan of. You know, make them up, share them. Umpty is awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And it is great to say umpty. Humpty, umpty, dumpty, umpity, umpity. Instead of an uppity person, you could be an umpity person. I can be that some days. <laughs> oh, they're very umpity today. <laughs> <laughs> love it, love it, love it. Umpty. So let's talk about happiness which the dictionary definition of, because we're going to talk a lot about emotional definitions today. The dictionary definition of happiness is a state of well-being characterized by emotions ranging from contentment to intense joy. And we were chatting before, JD, I love that this definition includes a range. Like just Yeah, it has 
Yeah. Anything that involves a spectrum, I'm a big fan of. Anything that is this or that, I really think messes up my mind and and quite a few other minds out there that I've talked to. So I so appreciate that spectrum. Contentment to intense joy. Wow. And there's a lot of things in between there. That's awesome. That's so awesome. The pursuit of the spectrum of happiness. Is that the U.S. Constitution? The pursuit of happiness? The pursuit of happiness. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. There. That's what good Canucks we are. We actually can quote the American Constitution. I wonder, <laughs> I don't think the same could be said. <laughs> Have you been pursuing happiness? What makes you happy? How do you relate to this big, big, big word? Do you have any happy faces in your home? <laughs> um, well, most of the drawings of princesses and pigs, which are the things Maggie and I draw the most, are usually smiling. Um, yeah, happiness. What's my relationship? You know, I, when I was, I'm thinking of when I first moved to Calgary, which is about 15 years ago now, when I was a, an emerging artist and, uh, working as an actor sometimes, I think in my self-image of myself and, and as a bit of a running joke or reputation, at least amongst like some of my friends and, and common collaborators is that I <laughs> was not was not a very good actor in some ways because I could, I, I always broke. I always smiled. Like if there was a, a argument scene or a tense scene or um, so not breaking. Cause I thought things were funny, just breaking. Cause I was uncomfortable with, you know, having a fight or something like that, or a showdown with another <laughs> character, I would smile. Like I just couldn't help but smile. And I, and, and I do not have that, uh, sense of me anymore like I smile significantly <laughs> less in the last like 10 years and not that I'm not as happy but I think as you know the whatever range of of mental health stuff that's happened in my life for the last 20 years or so 15 whatever years there have been times where I've like felt a sincere absence of happiness and even when I'm feeling pretty good I'm not I'm not I'm not always trying to not smile which in the way that I used to so I feel like I have a more distant relationship to that kind of exuberant happiness, that kind of easy happiness. I feel like happiness is is maybe harder one for me now, but also maybe more deeply felt when it's working. I don't know. Happiness, you know, I was really intrigued about this conversation because at first I was like, great, happiness. Phew, that should be an easy one. <laughs> what are we going to say? Like, it's good. Great. I'm for it. Pro happiness. Don't expect it all the time, but when it's there, enjoy it. End of episode. Yeah. And and so so I am, as I've been thinking about it, it is a much more complicated relationship that I have with that emotion. I don't know. How about yeah, I'm I'm still kind of making sense of it in my mind. What's what are what's your what what comes to mind for you? Or what's your Well, I really appreciate, you know, what you said there because I, I think it it has changed quality for me and was probably more on the end of intense joy and euphoria and seeking those states in the in, in the when I was younger but I think for me it's really one of those ones that's relative I think they all are relative but you know happiness you know I just went through a, a kind of a couple of weeks of where my auditory where my auditory hallucinations um were particularly kicked up where I had to really be on guard against 
you know, self-harm and, and uh, in relationship to suicidal ideation, which for me is like remembering why I want to live, not why I want to die. And, and the voices, you know, they're, they're mean little bastards. And so when that starts to break, which was in the last couple of days, I get so happy, even just that uh, I could take the night off. Well, I worked to 8 p.m. last night, but then I watched a basketball game and I watched a Tiger Woods documentary. And just that I could do those things and eat my sandwich and have a couple chips. I was really thrilled. <laughs> so I noticed that 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 scale, like for all the the darkness and the suffering that I've had to experience just because of uh, what what goes on in my mind, I guess the the flip side is that it doesn't take much to give me a kick, you know? <laughs> so, well, other people could get bored easily. When you come out of that solid state of, you know, anxiety, anxiousness, um, just a lot of vigilance, having to be really focused on sorting my thoughts and taking care of basics and watching me my reactivity and trying to get to sleep and being really patient and gentle with this, what feels like a beast in me that needs tending. Then when there's a break, it's just like, I'm in Disneyland. I'm like, look at me. I'm making a sandwich, Ma. <laughs> look, look at me. <laughs> I'm watching the ball game and actually able to watch the ball game. And it's kind of when that focus begins to come back, the voices can back up a little bit and then they're more like a radio yeah. in the other room. So, you know, yesterday was an example of like, I may not have notated it as I am so happy right now, but even talking about it, I was like, yeah, I was just so happy to have a little, a little break. Then I got a good sleep. And to me, it's, it, it's more of, um, I think when I was younger, I underrated contentment, mm -hmm. which is a, I think a, a, a state of happiness that I really aspire to now. <laughs> it doesn't have to be, Disneyland, like I, I, the Disneyland of contentment, you know, so the rides are not as, yeah, yeah. The rides aren't as wild, but I, I am very content. Yeah. I think where I'm feeling now and, and what I'm hearing in you too, is that, you know, something we've said a lot over this podcast, particularly when we're talking about harder times that we're going through is that like, you know, this too shall pass. Like this isn't your permanent state of feeling like this, this is going to pass and something new is going to come. And I, I feel like that that's, uh, that applies to happiness as well. And that that's an okay way to feel about happiness that like, while like, so that that happiness that you're feeling today is, is, is also going to pass and will come back, you know, just like, just like how you were feeling last week has passed. And that where, where I get more concerned or turned off about some conversations around happiness is that sense that happiness is, is possible to achieve as a permanent condition, that it's not just an emotion that comes and goes along with, you know, hundreds of other emotions in you, but the sense of like happiness is an, an end goal. And when you achieve it, you can hold on to it and that's your permanent state of happiness you know that you're thriving that you're like all all these all these kind of positive psychology buzzwords i feel like it's a much it's it allows me to enjoy happiness more knowing that it's fleeting in a way or that it's it's more it's a it's a present emotion that's not going to last forever and so i'm not worried about 
getting a stranglehold on it and and holding on to happiness at the expense of any other emotion that it's that it's here now and it's great and you can enjoy it and it, and when it goes away when you start to when the mix of emotions bubble up to something else on top that happiness will come back as well yeah you know and just return to the mixed emotion idea you know that i think this is the big lie I, I think that the, a lot of my madness was untangling this big lie, that the goal was happiness, that you can achieve happiness, that if you're making the right decisions and doing the right things, you will be happy, you know, and you can see it again, tied up so much to consumerist culture, but, you know, and that in, in my, in my upbringing, it was like, we, we were, um, it was closely tied to gratitude. And unfortunately we skipped, like if you were sad or you were angry, it was like, don't feel those things. Those are bad feelings. Think positively, find something to be grateful for. Let's move on. So it was this false happiness. So all this very real life stuff was going on. We weren't really talking about it. Mm -hmm. And we were all publicly facing very happy family, very happy people. So for a long time, it was like, I didn't have a relationship to happiness at all. I didn't even know what it really was. I sort of thought it was fake, you know, like put on a happy face, you know, uh, yeah. leave all your troubles in your old suitcase, you know, get out there and look happy and you'll be happy, you know? And so when mental illness was, um, crept in like gas under the doorways, you know, I, I had, I was like, so personally responsible for why I couldn't get happy and so much shame around. I should be happy. I'm okay. And so it is a delightful one to reclaim mm -hmm. a delightful one to be able to go, Oh, this is what it is for me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, you know, we talked last time about shame, like you just mentioned in social media. And I think, you know, a, a phrase, we come across is called uh, toxic positivity that I think, you know, crops up on social media quite a lot with that sense of like, of insisting that everything's happy all the time and that that's a choice that's within your control to, and then the flip, the dark side of that is, is if, if you're not happy, then that's your fault and you should be ashamed like that, that you're not doing, you're not doing life in the right way. You're not doing it right to, allow those other emotions like sadness and jealousy and all these other emotions creep in like that's a failure and, and you should be ashamed mm -hmm. thanks for chatting about yeah as i was growing up i think my sense of happiness was was very invested in other people's happiness making others happy keeping a, a, a smiling face on on everything even if it was blowing up was the was that was my pursuit of happiness my wife and i joke that especially when I was younger, I had a I had a move called the smile and Bob, which, <laughs> which is I'm doing on the camera now. But just as like it's like palms up, smiling, and just always moving back and forth a little bit. So we're just gonna keep everybody happy. But if like, yeah, the punches start coming, I'm ready to dodge. So it's, it's just like the smile and Bob and weave. Try to keep everyone happy, knowing that right under the surface there's some traps that that may get sprung at you and you have to be ready to bounce out of the way in case they happen. You know, what's amazing is you just gave me the physical image of what I always describe as, you know, when you're in those situations as a, as a spotter on the trampoline. So all this 
chaos is going on and you're standing at the side with your hands out just in case anybody falls into your hands and you got to get them back in there. And then it took me a long time to go, oh, this is this is not my trampoline. This is not my life. My life's over here. And then to be able to be like, what do I do when I'm actually happy and many people that I love are not? And that's been tricky too, to just like, I can be happy. I can, you know, I can be okay. I don't have to trade in the currency of problems and suffering. Mm-hmm. I can actually be okay sometimes too. So I don't want to fake the happiness when I'm suffering or I'm not able to be there for people. But I also don't want to pretend not to be happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which which I used to do too, right? So it's like, uh, it's a really tricky one. But I do think what, you know, what you were saying earlier too about, it's one of those ones we've been led to believe should be you sh- an achievable solid state. Like, if you just get it right, you'll, you'll arrive and that, and that's it. And that I think social media and all the way that people get portrayed to us, you know, they're happy that what, you know, the Tiger Woods documentary is just like, I was just so moved by the humanity of that person, like what their particular life story. And of course, all the amazing things they achieved, but still a very real feeling person with very specific upbringings and emotional life and oh just just all of that you know and I think wow we always I think happiness is one of those ones too where we fall into that comparison trap I have a joke with my daughter like when we get a little bit you know like oh this person's doing this work or this person's we each will take each other's comparative chip we we pretend it's a little chip behind your ear and then we'll be just like I'll keep that for you until you need it again. But right now it's really digging you a hole because, you know, and that old saying, that trite, trite saying about don't judge your, don't judge your insides by someone else's outsides. Do I have that right? Yeah. And so it's that whole idea of you, it may look like people have it all together and they're happy. And, but if you're comparing, if that's what you're gauging off, (laughs) you know, you're not going to, you're not going to experience any happiness. Because it is, uh, and then there's that other trite saying, which we could toss around about happiness is an inside job, which is not entirely true either. Because, you know, I am very privileged. I have different circumstances. To say that happiness is an inside job for everyone is a little bit reductive. Just if it fits on a bumper sticker, it's probably reductive. I don't know. I don't know if we can say that for sure. But that's what I'm thinking right now, Cole. Yeah. Do you want to explore some different granular aspects of happiness with me? Yes. So this is this is based on so this this medium article which is just so excellent really gets to the point of this theory called emotional granularity which says that you know this ability to put your feelings into words with great specificity and precision really expands your capacity for feeling by being able to name something and understand it through words you're you're able to open yourself up to feeling it more which always strikes me kind of as the the inverse of like in 1984 the new speak element of like if big brother can eliminate the word justice from the cultural vocabulary 
people won't be seeking it anymore. You know, if you if you take away the word home, then people won't expect a home anymore because there's no word to make sense of it. Um, and this is the opposite of that. If we can increase our understanding of language around emotions, including some of these that we'll go into that are just so beautifully specific. And if we can increase our, our vocabulary around those, we, we may be able to increase our attuneness to them. We may be able to increase our capacity to feel them. So I went through and I pulled, I don't know, a couple of dozen emotions that I thought were adjacent to happiness or or under a happiness umbrella. They're under a happy umbrella, but each each in their own particular way. So why don't we go through, just scroll through, and when one jumps out at you that you just really like, let's why don't we read each other these definitions and then we'll we'll just see how they're how they're resonating with us now. Great. Uh, well of course the first one is just um this is a, a complicated one for me, but bedgasm, which is a feeling of euphoria experienced when climbing into bed at the end of a very long day. And as people who both suffer from insomnia, that feeling, I had that last night, you know, I had that last night, but I also had a little wind down period. And for me, when I fall asleep, when I actually hit the bed and fall asleep, wow, I, I would claim that one for last night. I would say, Yes, I experienced bedgasm last night. That's a good one. Yeah, I, yeah, I, you know, I feel similarly complex about it, but really resonant. I, my version, my form of bedgasm when it happens is because I end up sleeping on my couch a fair bit. I always start the night in bed, but sometimes after a couple of hours of lying there trying to fall asleep, you know, doing all the all the things I'm supposed to do to try to fall asleep. But if I still if I'm still not sleeping, then often I'll I'll get up and move to the couch so I can like listen to a podcast or a book on tape or move around a little bit or read with the light on or, you know, all these things that I often end up falling asleep on the couch and then waking up <laughs> like my couch is shorter than I am. <laughs> and so my like it's never good for my back, knees, joints at all. And so my version of bedgasm is sometimes if I get out of bed and I'm, I can feel myself on the cusp of falling asleep on the couch and I can smoothly get back into bed oh. and feel that sense of being able to stretch out nice. my whole, like without needing to twist my knees or, or curl up into a ball or something like that. And I have my actual pillow that's cool because I haven't been lying on it. That's bedgasm for yeah. me. Oh, that's good. And that is a, such a good feeling. That's good. That's a lot of very tricky timing in that. That's a lot of very tricky being aware of that moment you're about to go. Wow. Well done. Because because you, you you can't get too excited about it. Exactly. Or else it or else you'll pop it. Yeah. This this term is making more and more sense to me. Badgasm. <laughs> Badgasm. Uh, here's one. Oh boy. I should we should say a lot of these are words of different languages that we do not speak, including, I don't speak French. And so I just need to give a blanket apology for the many mispronunciations where well, I'm at least about to do. <laughs> but here's a, a French word called retroveil, retroveil, which is the happiness you feel upon reuniting with someone after you've been apart for a long time. Oh, we're about to have an, an outbreak of retroveil. Retroveil. My daughter had to learn French for this film she's doing right now. And one of the ways was to really slow it down 
and move your mouth differently. So I'm going to, I'm going to say retro but I'm sure I got it wrong too. But yeah, I've had these, these dreams. I've been having these dreams about people that I want to see. And, um, wow. Oh, oof. shivers. Yeah. I I've had, I've had a few of these moments in the last couple of months of seeing people that I haven't seen largely since, since the pandemic started or, or also for me, big time, like my family, my mom and my siblings live in a, a different city and we hardly see them, you know, since things have been shut down. Sometimes we meet in like a small town in between our two cities, but yeah, but that, that, especially seeing someone from a little bit away, Ugh. you know, because we haven't been like going to each other's houses. It's always like, we're going to meet at a park and so you can see each other from a couple of blocks away. And that emotion, that retroveil happiness Ugh. of, of 10 seconds or so as you're, as you're like almost running to each other and there's like a smile and, and we're wearing masks, but you tell you're smiling. and uh, yes, Yeah. That's going to yes. be so good. So good. I like this one too. Um, I was so happy to see that there's a word for this because, you know, you always have to try and I think part of my relationship to madness is allowing myself a little wider parameter around the idea of reality. So, you know, I see things, I hear things. I sometimes don't know what's real. I don't know that it's actually that important to know what's real, honestly, as long as I'm still making my way through the world and not hurting anybody. But this, Urdu word that's here, Goya, yeah, which is the feeling of being completely absorbed in a storyline due to fantastic storytelling. Sometimes the suspension of disbelief follows the reader into real life. So this happens to me all the time. If I'm reading a good book, it is with me. I'm out there walking. I'm like, that sort of looks like la 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 or this sort of looks like when i was reading the confederacy of dunces there was a guy that looked like ignatius o'reilly like he sold hot dogs downtown and i was like it's him now yeah. it would have been problematic if i went up and said hey have you read this book you're him do you know how he wrote that book which i don't know if you know the story but it was all handwritten it was after he died and his mom took it to a professor at a university and said i want you to read this and the professor was like, forget it, and then did. And then, of course, it won a Pulitzer Prize. But anyway, I love that. And actually, it helps when things are really tense and, and I'm having trouble sorting. I can actually go back to a storyline when I'm out there and hang on to that for a while. I may not be able to know what to do or to make sense, and everything's too busy today. But I just saw Ignatius O'Reilly, and, and then that's going to make me think, I'm not sure if I got his name right. Sounds good. But anyway, uh, you know, that'll keep me going. I can think about that book. And it's actually a type of distraction that helps quiet the voices a little bit. So I love I loved finding this word that wasn't connected to the pathology of psychosis. Or, you know, there's something be careful if you're actually walking around with that with your head in the clouds. For me, the head in the clouds idea is quite a fine place to be mm -hmm. when when things are a little rocky on the ground you know i don't even know what urdu is though what's urdu that's a language from i don't know urdu i want to say it's a language from iran but we will double check that 
the national language of Pakistan, and it's recognized as a regional language in India. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Camille, Thanks, and thank Camille. you. Thank you, Pakistan. Amazing. Uh, Goya, what sprung to mind for me is particularly when I was younger, maybe like as a, I just have these beautiful memories of being a teenager in Lethbridge, Alberta, and going to the movies with my friends on a summer night. Mm. I'm thinking of like, I don't know, like Jurassic Park or or some movie and then you and then coming out of the theater and still feeling like maybe the world of the movie is there you know and or even that vibe of a, of watching a horror movie or a scary movie or something like that and then feeling not not actually feeling in danger not actually feeling afraid but carrying that that world out of the theater with you and being just that little is just feeling a little bit of electricity in the air of being like I'm I know I'm fine, but I'm going to keep my eyes open for the next little bit. Like, Yeah. Well, Jurassic Park, I'm seeing you in Lethbridge, which is in Coolies, you know, and yeah. I think is part of the dinosaur uh, circle in Alberta. Like all kinds of things have actually been discovered around there. So then I often think, okay, so the imagination of the movie came with you, but also the energy of the bones in the ground, like, ooh, Goya, Goya, Goya. I did want to say I looked it up. It's Ignatius J. Riley. So I was pretty close. I was saying, oh, Riley, J. Riley. Highly recommend. I'll put a link to that book, John Kennedy Tool. We should set aside some episode time to talk about some of our favorite, like, mad practice in art. Not that, ah. you know, but like, there's a lot of madness in that book and in the story of how that book. Of you know did and then or did not and then did come come to public light, that would be yeah that would be really meaningful for us to dive into. There's there's a, a few artists that I think we could build a, a pretty wonderful conversation around. And Ignatius is someone I walk with. I love that book so much. And it was before diagnosis, but at some point I bought. He had a hunter's cap with the flaps and everything. And I, you know, I had lived with voices, have lived with voices since I was 13, but didn't really go into the psychiatric system till much later. So I found that my little Ignatius J. Riley hunter's cap, although not making me very attractive, <laughs> did something to muffle and help me feel safe. I will wear hats on and off sometimes on, on very chaotic days. So I'll, uh, I think I still have that hat. I'll maybe uh, dig it out and you can see my Ignatius J. Riley hat. Yeah. Oh, here's a Tagalog word that I really like called kilig, which is the feelings of butterflies in your stomach, usually when something romantic or cute takes place. Mm. Just a light little feeling, just a lovely, lovely little word that is so specific, but is distinct from other feelings of, including feelings of like, um, you know, being attracted to someone or being um, excited to see someone or, you know, like there's, there's that sense of we, we, you know, we've talked about where emotions lie in our, uh, in our bodies and having a word specifically for that light little fluttering in your stomach. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the puppy dog feeling like that, that very real hit you get when they're a little puppy on the street, you know, and yeah. nowadays it's always like, can I, there's been a puppy explosion in my neighborhood. Anyway, there are a lot of people with puppies 
I think it's a COVID, uh, we'll see how many babies are born in a year, but this is definitely a COVID factor we can see. And a little puppy that's like eight weeks, that eight weeks to 12 weeks that just kind of walk in, I think this is that. I think that might be my puppy feeling. And they just, you know, lie. They just give you their belly. Yeah. Oh, that's a good word. Oh, there is another. Oh, I'll see if I can find it over the next second. There's another Tagalog word. That's the feeling of or the urge to squeeze something cute. Like when you see when you see a little a little puppy and you just want to hold it. You just want to just hold it, not hurt it, but just hold it and squeeze it. Yeah. Or, or whether you watched The Mandalorian or not, but like the baby Yoda, like when baby Yoda took over the world, because you just, it was so cute. You just wanted to grab onto it. Uh, there's a Tagalog word That's for that. That's awesome. That I will, I'll see if I can find as I scroll through here. Um, I, I like the next one too in the least, mudita, which is a Sanskrit word, meaning taking delight in the happiness of others, vicarious joy, and the opposite of, Schadenfreude. I can't remember how to say that, but which is taking joy in people's uh, misfortune. So I love to see that there's an antidote to that. And and I have this year is when I took up a meta loving kindness meditation practice every day to try and bring gentleness to myself mm-hmm. and others. And this this is one that happens. I think that's like a side effect of that practice that you start to be able to really feel other people's happiness and joy and when it has nothing to do with you. And I really love that one. I feel that a lot with my daughter, just, just this great delight. You know, she hasn't been working all year. She works as an actor and now she's on a film and she's just so happy right now. And I just, I've been giving her rides to work and just like hearing all about the shenanigans on the way there and on the way back. And I just leave. You can see my face right now. I just drop her off and I'm just grinning because it was such a hard year of struggle not being able to act. So mudita, mudita, love it. And right above there, there's there's a one that feels very similar, but with a slightly different angle, a Japanese emotion or Japanese word called ijirashi which is the uh, the feeling arising when seeing someone praiseworthy overcomes an obstacle, mm, mm. Wh- which again feels like a kind of sympathetic happiness, uh, uh, a happiness derived from, from someone else's happiness. But there is something particular about seeing someone praiseworthy, which whatever that means to you, I think we can, you know, I'll use our own word for that word, praiseworthy, overcome an obstacle. You know, you and I talked a lot about being the the spotters on trampolines, like working particularly in disability arts, but in other community organizing and activist spaces as well, where we're not the central people in the room and, and we're we're there. And part of part of the reward of that work is that feeling when you see someone really get it, like really nail it, really make a breakthrough. That has nothing to do with you. And it's not even a like, oh, I had a small part in that. You're like, no, this is just something I got to witness. And what a treat for me. Like what a delight and privilege that can really recharge your own batteries to keep to keep going with something. Yeah. I, I was hearing a David Suzuki uh, interview this morning on CBC. And, and he was just talking about all the people who made him. Like, like it was just great. He was just, you know, he's getting an award tonight, I think. And he was like, Really, this award should go to 
all the people who made me, who made me, me, you know, and he talked about his dad and he talked about other people along the way, but I, I love that idea. And, and I agree with you when you have been either formally or informally in relationship to a, a younger artist, a younger artist with disability and, and their work is done or appreciated or something that, that big place of maybe a, a new artist goes to emerging artists or something, you can see their craft and their, uh, I just love that. I just, that is like, yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up. That is such a good feeling. And just maybe going to the show, sitting in the back, not even saying anything and just go leaving and just go, wow, I can't, that is just the best. And remembering conversations, you know, just like, just do it, just show up, don't give up. I'm here if you need me somewhere else, if you don't, that is a great feeling. Thanks for bringing that one up. Well, and even so here's another one that reminded me when you were talking about your daughter, and this is, I know, an emotion both you and I experience a lot. It's a Yiddish word, nakis, 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 the pride or delight seen in your child's accomplishments, no matter how insignificant. The no matter how insignificant is really resonant for me. My daughter's five. And the number of times my wife and I are like, she is so good at seeing visually her drawings are, you know, like we just gush over the drawing <laughs> of a flower that she was, yesterday she drew an apple and drew like little dimples on the bottom of the apple. And we're like, Oh my God, she is a genius. Like <laughs> her awesome. powers of observation are so advanced. Like we're just so delighted by everything she does pride and delight. And even in, even as we're getting into these really specific emotions, the stories we're describing are already mixing different emotions yeah. that we've already listed. Like your example of seeing, you know, uh, an artist with a disability that, you know, performing in a show, like brings that uh, mudita emotion of taking delight and happiness of others. And what was our wonderful word for maybe adds a bit of Goya, the the delight and or there's another um, Spanish word here, dunde the mysterious power we feel when a work of art deeply moves us. Mm. Even as we get granular like this, we're still, we're still experiencing complementary mixed emotions in these wonderful moments that we're chatting about here. That's a good one. And, and I do think, you know, um, with the meditation I've been doing this year, like this year, I really went to a daily practice and I've had the privilege of working with some teachers, Mary Stankovich and John Martin and Aaron Selzover that I can think of right now. And all of it is about, you know, just like identifying these feeling states more like pleasant, unpleasant or neutral, just to start watching what is it that you're grasping and what is it that you're trying to push away? And even that has like been so helpful to like, um, sometimes I can't get to the specific word of how I'm feeling, but I can kind of know I don't like this <laughs> or I want this to stay. And what that helps me with is, you know, as my madness can fire very quickly, a joke, but zero to Hiroshima in 10 seconds. And so one of the things I've had to learn to be part of the world is that's a true thing for me. It fires really fast. But by uh, sitting, doing meditation every day, sometimes I can feel it in real life that I have more of a chance to pause. I can build in this pause about even if it's happiness, like this is um, uh, pleasant. I want this to stay. And so I'm starting to make decisions to protect 
the happiness instead of like showing up and doing the next right thing or doing the phone call I might not want to do. And so can I just keep moving through these states, you know, and uh, Mary Stankovic, uh, her, her question all the time is like, you know, right now it's like this, right now it's like this, right now it's like this. So just to like begin to see how fast it changes and how that is the nature of life, not the pursuit of happiness. And until you get there, it's all shit. <laughs> and so I love, I really do. The other one on this list that I really love is one that I've known for a long time, Wabi Sabi, mm -hmm. which is Japanese word for a state of acceptance of the imperfections in life and appreciating them as beautiful, appreciating the flow of life. And, um, you know, I think I first learned about it in pottery and it's a style of pottery in Japan. And if there's a crack or an imperfection, it's still sold and, yeah. you know, it has value and that becomes part of the piece. And to me, that is just the antidote to perfectionism, you know, which I, I definitely battle. And I just love that. I love the imperfections like that were set up like this is, you know, you're supposed to get to perfect somehow. Wow. It feels pretty close to the the root of mad pride and mad practice. Yeah. You know, the just the celebration of the imperfections of our minds, the the differences that that make us unique. Those differences that we want to gild and celebrate, not yeah. spackle over. Yeah. And that and that if we can the the whole idea of mad practice is is this self-acceptance, right? And that for example, if I was living my life trying to not be so fast firing, my partner for a number of years, you know, um, is an engineer and that kind of rationale and logic and calm will never be available to me. Like it just won't, but I can get caught comparing myself. Like, why can't I be more like that? Like I, I joke, but you know, Dana always knows the, that the alphabet is always the same. It always goes A, B, C, D. For me, it doesn't. It's A, N, F, you know, G. And then I got to go, okay, wait, wait, wait. I got to line it. I got to line it all up. So it's about celebrating that that same firing and going all over doesn't always go well at a meeting at the bank, you know, or someplace that really requires things to be in an order, but is great for creativity. Um, so... If I can accept that sometimes it's going to be hard, I'm going to get caught out there and I'm going to be, what was your, I'm going to be umpty <laughs> and I'm going to, I'm going to have to do some work to just sit on a park bench and, you know, figure out what I'm feeling and where I am and get myself home. If I can not feel like that makes some, that makes it like there's something wrong with me. If I can just accept that, that's, that's the crack in my vase. <laughs> that's the big crack in my vase. That's really been the work I've done over the last decade, I think, is just that self-acceptance. And like we talked about yesterday, the shame comes sometimes. You know, I can't, all my alphabet is not in a row all the time. And I love that, Cole. I love that tie into mad practice because I, I really think that's what it is for me, for, for, for sure. I can't fight it. Yeah. And, and trying to be like, whatever the idea of normalcy is, I think causes a lot of people a lot of trouble, whatever that idea is. But wabi-sabi, mad practice. Wabi-sabi. 
Well, here's here's one last one to end on because I did find that Tagalog word I was looking for. Great. It's jiggle, mm. which is the urge to pinch or squeeze something <laughs> that is unbearably cute. <laughs> That's great. Just you just want to squeeze it. Yeah. Just jiggle. Oh. That's very evocative. That's good. <laughs> so if I was to ask you now what your relationship to happiness is and how you, I think for me, it's like, how can you, how can you recognize it? So we've learned these new words, but how are you recognizing it even right in this moment? Because sometimes I think it's about, I learned this this year too, about the voices are not always at full volume. And and sometimes what helps is for me to notice when they're quiet, because really I only notice when they get loud again. They're always there. But if I can focus on noticing that, oh, hey, they're they're not, they're in, hey, this is great. I can do that with emotions too. Like sometimes I'm always so vigilant about be careful not to react, be careful not to leak. Can I notice when I'm content? Can I notice mm -hmm. joy? Can I notice the happiness right now in this moment about this episode? I think the last one we did was shame. So that's hilarious because, you know, it's like, you know, I feel really happy. I feel so happy talking <laughs> about happiness. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you know what I'm going to try? What? I'm going to I'm going to try to introduce a new habit. Okay. I want to like in in a in an effort to like you were just saying recognize these particularly lovely kinds of happiness that I feel. I'm going to start naming them. And like you said some of these emotions sound just like someone just made up a word to describe something they were feeling like empty. <laughs> I'm just going to start making up words. Okay. So right now I'm there's there's a there's a kind of happiness I'm experiencing right now of learning alongside someone simultaneously and laughing about it. That's that's what I've been feeling. Like just like us discovering these words, reading them, celebrating them, talking about them, understanding them and learning about them together. It is um uh comp uh bliss. Compa bliss. <laughs> it's like you're my accomplice. We're we're each other's accomplices. We're you're my companion in this bliss. I'm feeling compa bliss right now. Oh, I love it. I okay, I'm going to make one up too. Oh, this kid, Compa Bliss. I'm going to say I'm, I'm, I think we were super playful in this episode and I also feel full. And so I'm going to call this PBJ, like peanut butter and jam, because now we're going to have little peanut butter and jam with the crust cut off. We're sitting at the playground. It's when you eat a PB and J sandwich outside or camping, they're like the the most amazing food in the world. So this is PBJ. Yeah. PBJ. <laughs> Compa bliss. Yes. <laughs> this is great. So much fun. And, you know, part of mad practice is that uh, I think, you know, when we talk about how madness is portrayed, it's always the solid state of suffering. And then it's always the, uh, often the hero's journey story. You, you reach uh, you know, mental health professionals like to call it stability. I, I think it's, I, I prefer the idea of steady. You can be steady and your boat can still be rocking and almost tipping, but you can be steady. Stable is just doesn't make sense to me, but that it's not always, even in the 
even when I'm walking with suicidal ideation and, you know, the voices are mean, I remember walking yesterday by this bush of flowers on a tree. I don't even know what they are. I, I think they were um, rhododendrons and they were like this three bushes, three different colors. And I was just like, and it was kind of windy. And I was like, wow. And I just stood there for a little second, probably, you know, enough to look like a weirdo, but I'd rather do that, you know, but, but it's not all suffering. Isn't a solid state. Happiness isn't a solid state. And that's even when we're diagnosed with, with brains that get labeled as mentally ill, that is not a solid experience. That is not. And that's definitely one of the mad practice takeaways that, you know, I really want people to know that, yeah, sometimes it is solid and it's not moving, but even when within that, you know, we're breathing, we're here, it's going to pass. Sometimes I think about the frogs under the mud in the winter, but whatever it is, you know, we're here, we're alive. It's amazing. It's amazing. The earth is wobbling. You know, the earth is wobbling and rotate, you know, like, okay, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Even if I don't sleep tonight, I'm going to think of this episode and everybody out there and just wish for, just for everyone to have some ease today. Cause that's definitely what I, I would associate that with happiness. Ease. Yesterday night, I, I fell into some ease and it's still here. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, JD. Well, I'm 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 just gonna float away from this chat now. Me too. Because I'm so full of compa bliss and so full of PB and J. PBJ. How? Ask me how I'm feeling. Go ahead, Cole. Ask me how I'm feeling. Hey, JD. How are you feeling? PBJ, man. You? Compa bliss, buddy. Right on. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening. If our brains are making sense to your brains, there are a couple of ways you can help us out. Connect us with more people. If there are folks in your life who you think would enjoy spending some time with us, please pass this along to them. And, and I know you hear it on every podcast, but liking, subscribing, reviewing on whatever platform you're listening to makes a huge difference, especially in these early days. And if you'd like, you can support us with a little bit of money on Patreon. Just visit patreon.com slash madpractice. Big thank yous to Camille Craig for producing and composer Dana Ayotte for our fabulous theme song. If you'd like to learn more about us or our work, head to madpractice.org and chat with us on Twitter and Instagram. But most importantly, take care of yourself and each other. Love you, Cole. Love you, JD. Love you, Cole. Love you, JD.